Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. featured artist this week is Hannah Karen. New York-based artist Hannah Karen has been honing her skills in the MFA program at LIU Post for the past two years. Hannah focuses on printmaking, specifically screen printing, oil painting, and digital art. Hannah's development in the MFA program allowed her to create a body of work titled Ending, which advocates for animals on the endangered species list. In the past, Hannah has created political-based artwork as well as dog portraits and flower series. Hannah hopes her artwork shows who she is as a person and advocates for those who do not have a voice. Hannah's bachelor's degree is in environmental sciences, and she has studied the current environmental catastrophe which inspires her work. She says, I aspire to help the earth be sustainable for future generations. I desire to bring awareness to animals on the endangered species list, animals that are on the brink of extinction. Hannah uses screen prints and oil painting to create inspirational work focused on these animals. She says, I hope to enlighten and encourage others to make a difference, to make change. The purpose of my art is to inspire action in order to help the animals from becoming extinct, such as my giraffe, elephant, and giant panda series. I like to show the truth, the beauty, and the grotesque. My work is not just a pretty painting or print, but a tool to enlighten others and save the world. Wow. Head over to our blog to check out Hannah's work at teachingartistpodcast.com slash featured dash artists. And if you would like to be featured, you can submit work at teachingartistpodcast.com slash opportunities. I actually learned about Hannah's work when she submitted to the Winter Juried Exhibition for our online exhibition space, Play Plus Inspire Gallery. Right now, that winter exhibit, Catharsis, is on view, and you can see that at playinspiregallery.com. We now also have another open call available. Our spring open call is up through March 28th. This spring feels especially full of renewal. As we begin to rise from this pandemic, as we raise up our voices for justice, as we bloom and rise into the light, and I'm thinking of the beautiful poetry by Amanda Gorman, Maya Angelou, and Mary Oliver around these themes of rising up, climbing, and growing. This is what guides the theme of this show, Rise. All artists are invited to submit their work for consideration to a virtual exhibition curated by myself and Maria Coit of Curated for Kids. All submissions will also be considered for our social media, podcast interviews, blog, and future opportunities. To submit work and find out more, visit playinspiregallery.com slash open call. I have been inspired by Don Massey's blog for years and loved getting to talk with him and pick his brain. He shared some great tips and inspiration for artists and teachers, including exciting ways of using digital tools for art making with students. He also talked about how he's using the tools that he already uses, that students already have. We talked about balancing art and teaching and family and all the things, or struggling with that balance. I loved his method of teaching collage as a playful, experimental art form by offering glue only at the end of class. He spoke about seeking and sharing contemporary artists, local artists, and artists that act as windows and mirrors for his students to make art relevant. 
I loved hearing about how he has made work with his own kids through a back-and-forth collaborative process. It's always inspiring for me to talk with other teaching artist parents and hear about how they balance it all and bring art into every aspect of life. Don Massey is an influential art teacher who has been active in the field for over 20 years. Since 2001, he has taught at Zamorano Fine Arts Academy, a very large and diverse public elementary school in San Diego, where he is firmly committed to introducing his students to the work of contemporary artists, including numerous ones in San Diego, from diverse backgrounds and creative fields. He says, students should see themselves in our classroom so that they feel valued and loved. I also feel that students become better engaged with visual art content and design challenges when they can see these elements being applied by diverse artists working in today's world. Don has presented at several Art Ed Now conferences put on by the Art of Education and has been a guest on their podcast, Art Ed Radio. He frequently writes for Arts and Activities magazine and maintains a blog where I first discovered him called Shine Bright Zamorano. He is well known for incorporating contemporary artists into his curricula and developing collaborative projects with his students. When Don is not in the classroom, you can often find him with a piece of chalk in his hand, either drawing in the street or in the safety of his own living room. Let's hear from Don. So I am here with Don Massey, and I'm really excited to talk with you. I've actually been following your blog, reading your blog for a while now, and love what you do. So I like to start it off just getting a little bit of background. Could you kind of walk us through your story? How did you become a teacher and an artist? Well, I grew up outside of Philadelphia in a small mm -hmm. suburb and really gravitated to the art classes in high school. I was a, a bit of an introvert and really found my place in the art classroom, being able to create like my own little worlds. I think mm -hmm. that's still um, really relevant for me today. Then, you know, I went to undergrad and ended up going to grad school down in Louisiana because it was completely different. I uh, really got absorbed with the music and the culture and the arts down there. Finished up grad school and didn't really have a plan with the Masters of Fine Arts in printmaking. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up doing some screen printing back in the Philadelphia area and continued to, you know, journal and, and make my art in the evenings. Tried to, you know, stick in New Orleans for a little while. That failed. And mm -hmm. Austin, Texas, and that failed. And then in the summer, I would teach at this creative arts camp called Bucks Rock. It's in New Milford, Connecticut. And, uh, really go there. And that's really when I first started falling in love with teaching and working with kids. I did some teaching as a grad assistant at LSU. And frankly, I was terrible at it. I was just not in a place to devote energy to other people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just kind of focusing on, you know, my early 20s, Don Massey, selfish self, <laughs> I guess. And uh, that's going back to the camp. That's where I actually met my wife. And we drove out to San Diego mm. uh, in the late summer of 1999 and uh, have been out here ever since and started working at a boys and girls club kind of like as an after school arts instructor and then picked mm -hmm. up a couple adjunct jobs teaching and then like about a year in, one of the other adjuncts was like, hey, I work at this elementary school as an artist in residence. You should check it out. And I, I did. And I started to work as an artist in residence there you know, like a few hours a week, you know, in between adjuncting at different schools and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, really fell in love with the energy of that younger set, just their enthusiasm, their openness for experimentation. It was really striking. And I had never really thought of myself working with younger children uh, specifically. Mm -hmm. and did that for a few years. And my wife was like, so what's your plan, Don? What are you going to do? I was like, oh, I guess I should go get a teaching credential. <laughs> 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 so I, I did that and I was able to slide into the full-time job at Ed Zamorano. And I've been there ever since. I've been there. It's like my 20th year, my 19th year at that school. And I don't know, I'm not a religious person, so it's not blessed. I'm what, very fortunate? Yeah. I don't know. But just the way that things synced up for me to work with that community, I think is pretty awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. And did you go back for another, a master's in education or it was just a certification program? 
No, I just got the the certification. I didn't have to go back and get a master's for the K-12. Yeah. Frankly, I'm kind of done with school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't want to do anymore. I know. You know, but yeah. Yeah, I feel like I relate to so much of that, you know, with the MFA and studying printmaking and then being like, ah, oh, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. I thought I was going to be uh, like an education design major in undergrad. And I remember I had to take like a public speaking class my sophomore year. And I was like, I have to get up in front of people and I have to talk. <laughs> it's like, no. Uh-uh. And then, yeah, here I am 20, 25 years later. <laughs> oh, amazing. And then how did you, through teaching, did you continue with your own art? Was that sort of like in any downtime you were making art? Yes. So especially when I was teaching that at Zamorano, we used to be on this year-round schedule. So we'd have mm-hmm. like four weeks in the winter, four weeks in the spring. It'd be like a shorter summer break. Mm-hmm. And I just love those like longer opportunities, especially pre-kids. <laughs> Yeah. Before yeah. <laughs> our two kids were born, just to, to jam for that extended period. Mm-hmm. But, you know, really, if I'm not creating, I'm not whole. Mm-hmm. You know, I get depressed and my personality definitely shifts. So I definitely think it's important to make time for myself to continue to create on a regular basis. You know, if I go too long without it, I'm not really the same person. Yeah. So for me, it's exploring visual worlds, but also art therapy, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And do you share any of your work with your students? Yeah, I definitely do. And I think that's important just so they can see, you know, the educator, the person that they're working with, you know, is creating, you know, it's kind of like, you know, practicing what you preach, Mm -hmm. you know, so that they can see how you're handling, you know, the the elements and the principles and how you're expressing your voice and, you know, the creative and critical choices you're making, you know, as an artist, as a professional artist, you know, that's the stuff that really is trying to uh, develop within them. So I think it's important to share those processes with my students. Yeah, absolutely. And do you feel like their processes and seeing, like you mentioned, the amazing experimentation that happens in with younger students, do you feel like that influences your making as well? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it kind of bounces back and forth. Uh, You know, hopefully I inspire them and then they definitely inspire me on a regular basis. You know, so whether it's kind of taking things they create or, you know, thinking about things in a different way, working with them has definitely opened my eyes to different creative choices and experiments. It could be like a process I'm working on with students. You know, I had like this big public art installation go up uh, last October here in San Diego. And that was directly influenced by a digital experiment that we had been doing that I had been doing with third graders, like this pixel mm-hmm. art project, and then throwing it together with the green screen. So you have like this realism, this, you know, digital pixelation and putting that together. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. what if I take this and use it myself? And I, like a whole body of work was born from that. So Ooh, I love that. I'm going to have to go look at that. <laughs> And that sounds amazing. I just love that that back and forth too. Right, right, yeah. And being so inspired by students. And I know like I follow your blog. I've actually used some of the ideas that you've shared on there in my Ooh. own teaching and just love the way that you bring in contemporary art. Is there, you know, somewhere that you're looking for new artists or I guess where do you come up with the artists that you like to share? And the ideas, is it a variety of places or do you have like a few places you would point people? Yeah, it's definitely a variety. Mm-hmm. I think when I first started to do it, it's interesting. You know, when I first started teaching at Zamorano, I think a few years in, they got like this, you know, like the bubble Mac in the art room. Mm-hmm. So I would go on it after school and there was this blog in particular that I stumbled across called Dear Ada. Hmm. And the woman no longer writes it. And she would focus on share like a new artist or two every day. And I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, man, like my students could connect to this stuff better than, you know, looking at like Picasso and Monet and, you know, all these dead white guys. Yeah. You know, how can <laughs> I start to incorporate this into my curriculum? So that was really like the trigger for me. And then I would look at, there's a, an art blog called Boom mm-hmm. and Colossal. Yeah. Uh, Colossal's gotten really big. And now I use like Instagram as my primary research tool. Yeah. You know, look up Filipino contemporary artist or, you know, African-American printmaker, you know, and Mm -hmm. see what comes up. It's a very fluid process, you know, and then one artist will kind of connect me to another one. 
but I think it's really important for us as educators to share the work of those living artists with our students, and especially a diverse range of them, just so they can see themselves in our curriculum and to make the curriculum much more relevant for them. You know, kind of going back to what I said about me sharing my own work with them, you know, when they see artists in San Diego. Mm-hmm. you know, working with these concepts or, you know, elsewhere. It makes it much more engaging for the students. Yeah, absolutely. When they can see that this is a person in their community that, you know, they could even potentially meet. Right. And that's the before the shutdown. I was trying to regularly get artists to come into my classroom. We've had mm-hmm. San Diego mural artists actually come onto campus and create murals with students. And, you know, these kids are having like these wonderful firsthand experiences Mm. uh, with these artists. You know, they can go out at recess or, you know, teachers would take like mini field trips, go out and just watch these artists work and have conversations with them. And it's just a wonderful experience to share with the students. Yeah, absolutely. And how has it shifted now? Are you completely online? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I do regular Zoom lessons with my students every week. So it's worked out okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see like K1 for two weeks, and then I see two, three for two weeks, and then four, five for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And I think I got it down where I can, it's not like a perfect replication of the, the classroom experience, but I've structured the lessons where it's pretty similar mm-hmm. to what we were doing in the classroom, you know, giving them time to play and experiment with concept and tools at the beginning, and then, you know, giving them choices for them to execute their own ideas, and then kind of mm-hmm. coming back and re- reflecting on it at the end of the Zooms, or with a Seesaw. I don't know if you're familiar with Seesaw at all. Yeah, my kindergartner uses it, so oh, okay. <laughs> I'm very familiar as a parent. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that platform. I think it's mm-hmm. so easy to, first of all, document student work, mm-hmm. and then there's that wonderful microphone tool yeah. where they can talk about their work, you know? And I think that's something that I definitely want to keep going whenever we do go back into the classroom is that, you know, kind of verbal reflection, really for all grades. Yeah. But particularly, you know, the younger set where, you know, they're much more verbally fluent than they are, you know, obviously in writing and just Mm -hmm. to hear their ideas and, you know, what they're thinking about when they're making their artwork has been a really wonderful thing. And I wouldn't get that in in the normal classroom setting. You know, I can't hop around to 25 kindergartners and, you know, listen to them each for a minute at the end of a lesson, but I can definitely do that with recordings that they make. Yeah. Does that end up feeling like it's almost more time? Like I know I've heard that from teachers that even though we're at home and, you know, not having to commute and whatever, this sometimes makes it like you're spending more time teaching than you were when you were in the classroom. (laughs) (laughs) That I can definitely relate to that. Yes, that is definitely true. And it kind of continues, you know, you're, you're looking at posts, you know, at at 10 PM or, (laughs) you know, there's no on and off or I struggle with balance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I don't necessarily balance the professional and the personal probably as well as I should. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so tricky, especially now where it's all like blurry and gray. and <laughs> Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, totally. It's just a fog over all of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Which you can't tell the difference between it all, which is also kind of amazing, you know, like there's these relationships being built where they're seeing your living room classroom and then you're seeing them respond from their kitchen or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I have this curtain set up. We got this ceiling frame from Ikea, so I pull it around so they don't really see my living room. Okay. Oh, but I love that. I was doing a, uh, a project this week with first graders in Spartan. Mm-hmm. By the work of uh, California artist Musée Sesse. And he uses curtains sometimes in his artwork. And so when we were doing that, I would flip between like his work and then like I would draw back the curtain in my living room. The kids were like, whoa, (laughs) that's Mr. Mazzy's living room. That's Ah. like, like, I wish I could walk through the monitor right now, Mr. Mazzy. (laughs) Oh, I love that. (laughs) They get so excited. 
right? Yeah, yeah. Oh. The younger set, I'm sure I would not have that enthusiasm at the middle school or high school level. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a, a different type of enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, so I really feel fortunate in that regard in terms of working with you know younger students because even with the online learning, they still are so open. You know, I know mm-hmm. my high school son never has his you know Zoom camera on, and my middle mm-hmm. school daughter does it, and that's really hard. I can imagine for those teachers, you know, just talking into that, that void. And I understand the privacy issues. It's really hard as a kid, you know, to see yourself every time, you know, you talk, you know, all of a sudden you're on spotlight and you take up the entire screen. But uh, yeah, yeah, I feel fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I was in a Zoom a while ago and somebody showed us, I didn't know this was even an option, but there's an option to like turn off your own view of yourself Oh, okay. Which I thought was really great, especially for that. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're a high school kid and the reason you don't want your camera on is that you don't want to see yourself, it's not as much, I don't want everyone else to see me. Right. That there's that option there which I thought was just really cool. Like I turned my camera off for a while and I was like, oh yeah, now I'm not so like, I'm not messing with my hair. I'm not so like self-conscious. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, but that was a great tip that I didn't know existed. I'm sure there's so many in all of this technology. Right, yeah. I feel like I'm just keeping like one step ahead. Maybe maybe a half, maybe a half step. (laughs) Yeah, but I also feel like I'm, you know, always learning from other teachers and from students students and just, you know, it's this constant updating what you know and what you're capable of. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of like um, the collaborative aspect that has happened since, you know, we've been online. I think it's been really powerful as an educator, as an arts educator, because before we shut down, like our visual arts department, the resource teacher would try and have, you know, like monthly get togethers and You know, we're such a big district that, you know, oh, I don't want to have to drive 30 minutes over to a meeting after school, after, you know, being gassed. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't think I ever went to a a single meeting. It's pretty (laughs) lame on my part. But as soon as we went online, you know, they would hold weekly meetings and, you know, we do like monthly elementary meetings and I go and, Mm -hmm. you know, so many other people participate. And, you know, as an art teacher, you know, you're on this island so much of the time. It's been really nice to collaborate with people in my district. I found like before this that I would collaborate more with art educators that I met through social media Mm -hmm. or going to like the California, you know, state conference or NAEA. Mm -hmm. And it's really nice now to have that local connection to see what other teachers are doing in the district. Yeah. And do you feel like they'll continue having the meetings more online, like now that they're seeing more people participating? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I think there's really no reason to kind of go back. I mean, maybe every once in a while, but it is the the amount of participation that we have this way. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you can't really go back from that. Yeah, that's an amazing thing to see. And then you can record them, right? Mm -hmm. And so even if you do miss a meeting, you can still you know, watch it later and and get filled in. So yeah, all the things like I feel like I've talked about this before, too, of just what we need to hold on to what we need Mm. to keep. Oh, and then I was going to ask talking about balance, how you sort of balance the blog with teaching and your own art making. And do you hold yourself to any kind of schedule? (laughs) Or is it posting when you're kind of inspired? Yeah, with the blog, Rebecca, I actually haven't posted on it in like two years. Yeah, yeah, I was just looking. I was like, there's not a lot of research. No, no there's definitely not. And that's when I, I really started to get more involved with like the, the immediacy of Instagram. Mm-hmm. I really was drawn to that where instead of having to write like a full blog post, yeah, I could throw in some hashtags, I could do a couple sentences, <laughs> and then boom, I could publish and promote, you know, like student success. Yeah. So I've really kind of leaned into that, not only as a research tool, but as a, a way to publicize our art program, you know, mm-hmm. what we're, we're doing in the classroom. So <laughs> I haven't really balanced the blog then. <laughs> but with an Instagram post, I try and do like maybe three a week. I don't know, just mm-hmm. like as new student work rolls in and I see something really cool and I want to share it. So yeah, like I mentioned before, I'm not good at balance. (laughs) (laughs) It's a tricky thing. Yeah. 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 So what was it? It was the balance of the art education, like kind of the the publication stuff, what, 
my art yeah. making and then yeah personal. your art making yeah. and your teaching i've got like a new ipad so mm-hmm. i've been doing a lot more digital work especially with the shutdown mm-hmm. kind of experimenting with that like on a regular basis so at least two or three times a week you know in the evening or you know kind of experimenting there so and then making sure i've got time for for carrie and the, and the kids yeah yeah and that's i guess the other thing is you know how you kind of fit in family and then the multiple different aspects of this career it can be a lot yeah definitely yeah now i'm looking at the instagram Mm -hmm. and the digital collages that you were having students do are really just striking the abstract ones is that what you're talking about yeah i'm seeing Uh sort of yeah geometric shapes designs and then also collages that bring in photos Mm -hmm. yeah i've loved those and i think that's the process that i miss the most being online is collage Mm -hmm. yeah i'd love to work with it myself but i find that when i do it with kids in the classroom i really emphasize like the play aspect of it because Mm -hmm. you can you know, you make these different parts and then you can just move them around. You know, I try and get yeah. them to, you know, think about, you know, different possibilities. I don't actually give them the glue sticks until like the last 10 minutes of class. Ah, <laughs> you know, just so like great. move it out, try a different idea. But Mr. Massey, I like this. Well, you, know, you can always go back to it. That's the beauty <laughs> of collage. And, and really that's kind of very similar to the digital collages, the shape collages and like the role model collages where it's so easy for them to try out different possibilities. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the things about the digital artwork is with that undo or delete, I've noticed that the kids are much more willing to experiment. You know, mm-hmm. they don't have to worry about like erasure marks or pink marks on the paper or, you know, not getting rid of pencil lines. You know, that when they do that, it's like, oh, well, I can, I can try this idea out. And just like their flexible thinking really kind of comes to the front there or they're more willing to do it. Yeah, that's amazing. And what tool are you using for the digital? For the most part, since we use Google Classroom, Mm -hmm. third through fifth, and really I wish third grade would use Seesaw, frankly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But so we're using like the abstract collages are done with Google Draw Mm -hmm. and then the role model collages and some of the other work I'm using Google Slides. Mm -hmm. Just trying to use what is actually in Google Classroom as like an option to create. And one of the cool things about that too is that I've got like Google Classroom up on my my Mac, my monitor. I've got my iPad so I can see what they see on the screen. And then I'll have my district Chromebook next to me. So I'll be working. (laughs) But when I have it up on the monitor, I can go into the assignment and I can actually see what they're doing in real time. Oh, cool. Which is, you know, instead of them trying to hold it up, I don't have to like pin their video or I don't have to put them on spotlight. Mm. So it kind of connects back to my regular classroom routine, kind of going around and talking to kids individually. And it allows Mm -hmm. me to kind of see where they are, you know, if they haven't opened the document yet. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Like, Kiyomi, you actually, you know, are you okay? You know, so it's really great to do those Mm check-ins. It, you know, it makes it much more anonymous for them where, you know, like we were talking about having their cameras on and stuff. They don't want to necessarily hold their artwork up for the group to see, but I can go into Google Classroom and I can see what they're doing. Yeah, that's amazing. And I've also, I mean, just practically, I've been on Zoom with kindergartner who couldn't figure out how to hold it up where I could actually see it. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Can you move it to the left a little? (laughs) (laughs) So that's a great tip Mm. for anybody using Google Classroom. I love that. Yeah. And just the image of all the devices too. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Normally it's just two. And that always trips the kids out. Mr. Massey, why do you have two monitors? It's like, (laughs) you know, or why are there two of me in the Zoom meeting? It's like, sometimes there's actually three. (laughs) This is what we do. Just tell them you've cloned yourself. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I can't imagine doing this with just like one monitor at home. I don't know. Yeah, it's tricky. I like that digital collage as well. I've seen my daughter doing something similar actually on Seesaw, which Mm, to mm. me, it wasn't very aesthetically pleasing because it's just in that little like Seesaw window. But her teacher had, you know, move these sticker shapes around and like put them, you know, design something with it. And she had so much fun with it. Yeah, the drawing tools and there's there's shape tools that you can use in Seesaw. Mm -hmm. On the Instagram page, there are some text pieces. Mm -hmm 
Antonio, we were thinking of like positive messages to convey in artwork. And they used the Seesaw text tools and shape tools, and they were really successful with it. I was talking about wishing that third grade would use Seesaw with the, they did some basketball court designs with Google Drawing. And that the learning curve was pretty steep for the third graders using mm-hmm. that. And I was like, ah, you know, if Seesaw is more user friendly, so many more of them would be more successful mm-hmm. with that change in platform. But what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I do like what you said about trying to use whatever they are already using, mm-hmm. you know, not trying to like add more tools. <laughs> right. Go to, to like three different websites or uh, whatever. And yeah, right. Now you have to yeah. save that to your desktop. Now you have to add it to Google mm-hmm. Classroom. And it's like, what, Mr. Massey? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then that becomes a barrier. You know, it's like that added time and added like trying to figure things out. Just, you know, you're going to lose that many more students. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. listeners, I'm jumping in here because I have an ask of you. If you are enjoying the show, I would so appreciate your support. I'm humbled and grateful for all the interest in this show over the past several months and for the messages I've received letting me know that this podcast has resonated with you. It has been so inspiring to hear from you. Thank you. This podcast does take time, effort, and resources to share with you every week. And I want to, I plan to, keep it going and stay focused on highlighting and inspiring artists who teach, while also continuing to grow this community and dreaming up additional ways to help you. One way to accomplish this is through direct listener support. Your support would really help the show and community grow. So I've set up a link where you can quickly and easily support the show. The whole thing will take less than 60 seconds. It's at anchor.fm slash teaching artist podcast slash support. You can contribute one, five or $10 per month. If teaching artist podcast is a part of your week and you love what we're doing, please consider visiting anchor.fm slash teaching artist podcast slash support, or just clicking the link in the show notes and supporting us in any way that you can today. So we've talked a lot about teaching. I would love to get more into your own work and just okay. hear more about your artwork. It seems like a lot of your work, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you really engage your family as well in art making a mm, lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm seeing the mural at your home. and Yeah. I love visually experimenting with my kids at home. Yeah. My wife and I, we used to do collaborative pieces as well. Uh, uh, but my kids, when they were younger, we did like a whole series where they would add a little and then I would add a little kind of go back and forth. That's great. I love that process with them. Mm -hmm. As they've gotten older, they've gotten a little bit more resistant to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When you were doing that, back and forth collaboration would they ever kind of stop you be like no you can't change what I've done oh yeah yeah there were definitely moments you know like particular things that I couldn't touch you know mm-hmm. it's like and that's that's valid you know it's like yeah. all right yeah I am supportive of that I recognize your decision mm-hmm. so my daughter was like dad what would you do if you know you weren't an art teacher I would love to travel around the country painting murals in different places mm-hmm. I started doing murals when I started teaching at Zamorano. We do like a legacy mural mm-hmm. every year with the fifth graders. And then I started to use those as a platform to get, you know, different gigs or commissions around San Diego. Yeah. I just love the scale. I used to do, mm-hmm. I still do some large scale like chalk drawing, you know, like mm-hmm. radial designs on the street where I used Ooh, to, yeah. to do them on walls and stuff. And I love the, the real temporary nature mm. of those, you know, when it does actually rain in San San Diego, I could go out and I could do another one because it washes it away. Yeah. But with the murals, yeah, there's that permanence and that scale 
and just the idea of kind of leaving a positive mark on particularly mm-hmm. like a public place. I think that has been a driving factor in a lot of my work is, mm-hmm. you know, leaving a positive mark and the public works that I do, giving people an opportunity to kind of pause mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of look at things in a different way. You know, I talk about everything is labeled shine bright for me. And it's, yeah. you know, just kind of leaving a little bit of illumination mm. for people. Yeah, that's beautiful. And did you feel like that? Like, I, I'm i not sure I can articulate this very well, but mm. I'm seeing or thinking about a connection to printmaking there with that connection to sharing in the public and being able to make multiples and kind of put that message out. Mm, right, right. I think when I was doing a lot of prints, that connection wasn't very strong with me. Mm-hmm. I always gravitated more towards like monotypes mm, just because yeah. of the painterly aspect of it. You know, you make huh. one impression and then you've got like a ghost, but it's gone. Yeah. So kind of like thinking about that in terms of printmaking. Yeah. It sounds like maybe you were more of like a painter's printmaker. Like, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yes, I would agree with that. In fact, when I was in graduate school, you know, I had like the emphasis in printmaking, but I ended up with a painting studio in oh. Tiger Stadium down at LSU, which was pretty crazy. But yeah, my whole thesis show was charcoal drawings. Uh, <laughs> there wasn't it. a single print in there. <laughs> So I I had a studio in the print department, but you would never find me there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, And I love that. I wish I had heard more of these stories of people, you know, going into school with a specific emphasis and then not necessarily sticking with it. Mm -hmm. Because mm-hmm. I had some idea in my head that like, if I go to grad school as a printmaker, that's what I have to do. And they won't let me do anything else. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I like sought out programs that were very interdisciplinary as that's what they claim to be, right. which really limited my choices. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. I'm looking at a couple of clay pieces that I did a while ago and making yeah. a connection to the printmaking that I did, mm-hmm. like intaglios and, and etchings. And I guess one of the things that I always loved was kind of like that mark, that incision kind of like mm-hmm. in the plate. And then when you pull the print, uh, kind of like the physical, the tangible nature of the paper and, you know, how the texture changes. Yeah. And then I started to do ceramics. Mm-hmm. It's probably about like 2002. And they're all heavily carved, heavily textured and patterned. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like me bringing printmaking kind of like what I loved about printmaking to the clay form Mm -hmm. yeah amazing and I totally agree about that tangible that physical mark and that texture I still have some of the plates that I made Mm. and think of those as their own little artworks oh right yeah totally the way like the metal changes over the years or the colorations of it. Yeah. It's, I mean, some of the plates are more gorgeous than the prints, you know? Yeah. And then also coming back to the murals and just this idea of collaboration, I see so much of the work you do with students is also like large scale collaboration mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it's, you know, lots of little pieces that come together to make this big whole. Does that connect to your own art making as well when you do murals? Are they at all collaborative? For the most part, no. Mm-hmm. No, for the, <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah. Besides the work that I've done with my students, mm-hmm. and not with my students, with, with my kids. Yeah. It's, it's pretty solo. I really encourage the collaboration with my students, but then mm-hmm. that is something that I don't really practice what I preach. <laughs> like this is my idea yeah <laughs> you know, I mean I very, think that's okay yeah right right yeah but, yeah yeah but, there's room for that yeah I'm not sharing that process so mm-hmm. I kind of I hold that close to my best I guess yeah and maybe that also goes back to that balance thing that maybe mm. you're doing so much of that collaboration in the classroom that then outside of the classroom you're like okay this is my thing <laughs> right right yeah that's true yeah Kind of to touch on where you're getting opportunities, you said you sort of shared some of the murals you'd done with students as a way to do your own murals. Would you have any tips for artists that are looking to get into that? Oh, geez. I'm I'm so bad at it. Yeah, just like the business side of oh, art making. I've, it's so hard. Right. I've struggled tremendously with it. Mm-hmm. It's like I like to make the work and then magically have it end up in an exhibition. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think if you do have those opportunities, I mean, with the murals and the public art, I've sought out 
opportunities that I found online through like San Diego, through like the city. We'll put out Mm -hmm. calls for public art, things like that. I have really good friends in terms of they look out for me where if they Mm -hmm. see something, they're like, hey, Don, you should apply for this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got like a nice network of people helping me accomplish some of these goals that I have. Yeah, that's amazing. And so helpful. Just, you know, building up that network. And I agree that the business side Ah. is really, really tricky. Are there any resources that have helped you along the way? I guess looking at that, what the city is putting out, sort of RFPs that they have, and then creating a network. Is there anything else that you feel like has been helpful? No, just really, you know, being persistent and, you know, persevering. You know, if you get rejected, you know, just kind of pushing through that, not letting that be a deterrence Mm -hmm. to, you know, seeking out opportunities for yourself. That's something that I encourage in my classroom, right, is, you know, this perseverance, if it doesn't work out, you know, push through. I think that's really important as a practicing artist, too, because obviously you're going to face a lot of rejection. And, you know, Mm -hmm. how much of that do you hold on to or how much of that do you shake off and continue working towards? Yeah, and that can be so hard. You know, I was talking with someone recently and just this idea of sometimes those rejections sort of reinforce like our own inner critic, which makes it so hard to shake it off. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like with every rejection, you get a chance to practice that. (laughs) Right, right. right, Yeah. And one of the challenging things for me, too, is that I tend to bounce around between, you know, styles. Like my murals Mm -hmm. have one particular look. My work on paper has like a different look. My journaling has another one. Mm. Kind of go through periods where I'm, you know, working in an abstract manner. And then it's, oh, now it's more of a, you know, kind of a figurative Mm. investigation. And, you know, I stress that that range is good. It's Mm -hmm. really important to have like a range of what you can do. But at the same time, you know, if you're seeking out opportunities, that could be like a hindrance too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, if you're looking at a cohesive body of work, do you have that? You know, is that necessary? You know, just kind of like thinking about that in terms of the range of work that I do. Yeah, I definitely see that the art world pushes this idea of almost an artist as a brand and that you have to have like a cohesive brand story or (laughs) whatever you would call it. Uh But especially teaching, you know, we teach the range of materials and the whole range of styles and you know in teaching there's such a huge range of work that you have to know about and be able to do to some extent right so I feel like that also like would push you towards having a bigger range in your own work Mm -hmm. I can see how that's tricky reconciling that with this pressure from the art world and from you know open calls and submissions to have like a cohesive body of work right right it's tricky is there any way that you've kind of gotten around that or that you've group like this is I'm going to submit just this style to this application or yeah and that's pretty much what it, it what it has been is yeah, yeah it's, if it's a mural call it's like submitting that stuff or you know mm-hmm. depending on the project if they you know if it seems like you know having a range is relevant I'll mm-hmm. add a few different pieces but yeah applying with a specific kind of like body of work mm-hmm. definitely helps me navigate that yeah and then how yeah. do you if you have them I'm sure maybe at some point you have how would you overcome Um, like creative block? I tend to work, I'll I'll have usually like a journal going Mm -hmm. where kind of like working through ideas in that nature in terms of working on multiple pages at once. Mm -hmm. I find that if I'm working on different pieces, it allows me to kind of, you know, the work is not nearly as precious. Mm -hmm. You know, if something's not working out, I can flip the page, I can continue an experiment and I can always go back Mm -hmm. to that. So I've found that if I'm doing, besides the murals, any kind of body of work, I usually have like a couple pieces or at least three pieces going on at once Mm -hmm. where something does get frustrated. I I can come back to it. Yeah. So I think that's important. It's worked for me mm-hmm. in, in terms of, you know, fighting creative blocks is, you know, having multiple things going at once. Yeah. It's not all going to stink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And I feel like, you know, sometimes you have to just get an idea out and even if it's a stinky idea, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. getting it out will help you get to the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I use uh, Autodesk Sketchbook on my iPad mm-hmm. when I'm like planning murals and stuff. And yeah. I did one 
like a commission recently that was like a landscape. I hadn't really done like in my particular kind of heavy lined way, like a landscape. And I was working through ideas just in like different layers, you know, like mm-hmm. a quick sketch and then I can hide it. And then I can do another quick sketch. I can hide it. So kind of replicating like multiple pieces at once, I could then do different layers digitally. So kind of like thinking about how I've been uh, working through ideas using yeah. digital means. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a fun way I guess similar to like what you were talking about with the students that having that those layers and like the undo button Mm -hmm. makes it a little bit more free to experiment and now sort of thinking about practical what does life look like how do you fit it in what's kind of a week like how are you scheduling or squeezing in like your own creating if you have commissions all of that along with teaching and family and everything yeah it generally happens after dinner (laughs) <laughs> yeah you know teaching all day responding to students in the afternoon mm-hmm. uh, cooking dinner and then using that evening time to kind of really you know process mm-hmm. you know whether it's lessons or you know my own visual ideas yeah and then do you have tips for artists who would want to get more into teaching like somebody I guess how you were when you were kind of just starting out teaching what would be a big tip there? Like, what do you wish you knew back 20s, <laughs> 20s? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what did, yeah, right. Be flexible. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a big one for me. That doesn't really address kind of like just getting into teaching, though. Yeah, flexible thinking in terms of like lesson planning and going back to the if the idea isn't working, right? You know, mm-hmm. you know, looking at that in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of getting into teaching, like observing classrooms, mm-hmm. you know, making connections of, of people that are doing it and going in and just you know observing their class mm-hmm. to see whether it's going to jive with you, your personality. Yeah, I think that's really important to actually kind of like see things in action, you know, like the theory of, you know, teaching is one thing, but actually then going in and doing it is totally different. Mm-hmm. You know, I mentioned, you know, when I was in grad school and I was a horrible educator because <laughs> <laughs> I was just kind of like thrown in it. You know, I didn't really have any kind of background in it. It was just mm-hmm. like, you know, you're printmaking, you're going to teach printmaking. And I think I was resistant to go into the credential program. But I think having the student teaching that I did and the observations that I did was actually quite helpful. And on top of that, I was on a cart. Well, I didn't have a cart. I had like a, a milk bin that I would take from class to class when I first started. And I think that was really formative for me because I would go into all of these different teachers' classrooms mm-hmm. and see the environments that they had set up and, you know, see their routines and, you know, teachers that have been teaching for 30 years and 20 years and people that were just starting and having that kind of range of inspiration to see what was successful, maybe what wasn't successful in these different classrooms. So if you can You know, I know people are like, you know, art on a cart is terrible, you know, having to go from class to class. But really, for me, it was really eye opening. You know, Mm -hmm. I I learned a lot from it. You know, if you're open to that, especially as, you know, somebody who is just getting started in in teaching. Yeah, I totally agree because I've been in that same position on a cart or even when I had a space, the teachers would come with their class. So I got to kind of see a little bit of their, you know, management style. And that was super helpful just to see the range exactly like you were saying. Right. So now we are in January. I have a question that I I feel like I haven't really asked people a lot of the time, but this is a time when a lot of people are kind of like setting their goals for the year. (laughs) To make it through in one piece. That's my goal. Right. Yeah. For teaching, art making life. Right. Just to get through. You're doing okay so far. (laughs) (laughs) And then a kind of just fun get to know you questions. Mm -hmm. What are you curious about? We had talked earlier about what from this online experiments is going to stick to, you know, once we go back into the classroom, curious about that, particularly as far as like teaching goes. Yeah. What successes, what innovations, you know, are Mm -hmm. happening now that am I going to continue with? Yeah. In the classroom or what is education going to continue with? Yeah. Like a broader piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a really good question to be thinking about. 
Okay, really kind of silly, fun one. What is your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? Oh, obviously <laughs> takeout, but uh, yeah. I get a Philly cheesesteak uh, down uh, the street. And Philly people are, you know, really passionate about mm. their cheesesteaks. Yep. And there is a, a pretty remarkable one down the street in, in our main street. So usually I will, it will go down almost every Friday, but we'll like order in and watch a movie. That's my go-to cheesesteak oh. with, with sweet peppers, fried onions, and mushrooms. Yeah. And a little so, taste of home. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. I lived in Philly for a year and it's been a while. So I'm forgetting the name of the place where, you know, you line up and you have, you've got to have your order like immediately oh, right. yeah there's like pats and genos like across the <laughs> yeah. street from one another Those right are the, the two that everybody knows <laughs> yeah yeah i had never actually went to either one of those oh. <laughs> there was a place on south street Mm-hmm. that I would go to gyms. And then okay. by my college, Tyler School of Art, we, yeah. we had a great sandwich shop. I would hit that up all the time. Yeah, Nice. I love that. The little taste of home. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you'd want to share? If thinking like in terms of like talking about my artwork, it, it's still, yeah. you know, like you're, you know, asking some great questions and you know, just like, oh, I didn't really think about it that way. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> like just involved in doing and making. I feel like sometimes just having the conversation, even on this end where it's not like I'm not talking about my own work, but it brings mm-hmm. up so many more questions than it does answers. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> is there anyone that you would want to thank or give like a shout out to my high school art teacher joe sabatino uh, like i mentioned before i was like an introvert painfully shy mm-hmm. in high school and stuff and he gave me a safe place mm-hmm. and i take that to heart and i think in my own teaching my own practice i'll have my you know classroom open at recess classroom open at lunch and you know kids can come in and they can either work on projects or they can just hang out and talk to one another or they can, you know, go to one of the building centers. So he shaped me and I like to think that I carry through with that in my own teaching, giving kids like a safe space mm-hmm. to come in and be themselves. Uh, yes. Um, and my parents, you know, frankly, you know, they were both educators mm-hmm. long time. My mom was a history teacher for 35 years and my dad was industrial arts. And I I got to witness, you know, up close, you know, teaching is just not a seven to three job, Mm -hmm. you know, what it entails and the passion and the caring that they had for their students. They didn't look at them as just students. You know, Mm -hmm. they looked at them as, you know, growing humans who need love and compassion. Mm -hmm. And again, it's very similar to my high school art teacher, but, you know, Mm -hmm. making sure kids feel safe. And do you feel like I'm just thinking about this because I also have a family full of teachers and I really pushed against becoming a teacher. (laughs) I think maybe partly because that felt very natural. And I was just like, no, (laughs) I have to do something else. Do you feel like that? (laughs) Is that part of what made you not go directly into that? Yeah, I think so. You know, yeah. I was resistant to it in, mm-hmm. in that way. And then when I was ready, yeah, I had the opportunities, you know, mm-hmm. so the timing of it. Yeah. And now looking at it, you see how that influences your work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last thing, where can listeners connect with you online? They can check out an out-of-date blog at <laughs> shinebrightsamorano.com. still has a lot of great stuff on there. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I keep saying I need to get back and still work on that. But in particular, on Instagram, Shine Bright Zamorano. I'm always there. I'm on social media way too much. (laughs) Again, Uh, going back to the balance thing. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, that's the easiest way to get a hold of me and see what my students are up to, see what I'm up to. And if you have any questions, they can always DM me. Awesome. Yeah. And I will link to both of those as well. Thank you so much, Don. Thanks for taking the time and sharing so much with me, with us. Oh, yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. It was great to chat with you. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you.